Our podcast reviews well-known movies and contains spoilers. The podcast may contain mature subject matter and mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the show. Quiet on set. Places, everybody. Once again, for the Hooked on Movies podcast. Today, we are looking at the first in the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings series, the 2001 release, The Fellowship of the Ring. And we have a special guest uh, returning to the podcast. Say hi, Justin. Hi, Justin. That's very good. And what's your line? (laughs) I wish it need not happen this time. So do I. So do all who live and see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Oh my god, this is this I, is going to be an interesting podcast. That's over well, the top. That. <laughs> All right, Ken, you're up. I don't know half of you as half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Nice try. And Ted, you shall not pass. And I'm of course your uh your ug- your ugly, your your uh, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. <laughs> Holy cow. And I'm, of course, your host, Eric. It's a pity Bilbo didn't kill him when he had the chance. Lord of the Rings, God help us all. Ted, <laughs> tell us the particulars of this one. Okay, so Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, is directed by Peter Jackson. It was a screenplay by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, and Peter Jackson. It's, of course, based off of the novel The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien. The theatrical running time is 178 minutes, and the extended Blu-ray version, 4K version, is 228 minutes. It has a release date of December 19, 2001. It had a budget of $93 million, and it had a box office gross of $898.2 million. And it's probably well over a billion with all the the retail sales. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, boy. Let's do the stars. Everybody buckle up. Okay. So starring Fellowship of the Ring stars Elijah Wood as Frodo Baggins, Ian McKellen as Gandalf the Grey, Viggo Mortensen as Aragon, Sean Astin as Samwise Gamgee, Sean Bean as Baromir, Billy Boyd as Peregrine Took, Dominic Monaghan as Meridoc Brandybuck, Jonathan Reese Davis as Gimli, Orlando Bloom as Legolas, Liv Tyler as Erwin, Kate Blanchett as Lady Galadriel, the incomparable Christopher Lee as Sauron the White, Hugo Weaving as Elrond, Ian Holm as Bilbo Baggins, and Andy Serkis as Gollum. And Jerry Mathers as the as Beaver. The beaver. <laughs> All right. What are the reviews of this one, Ted? Okay, so on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is a 91% certified fresh with an audience score of a positive 95%. So I did find a couple of negative reviews, but they weren't, like, scathing. Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader said, It's full of scenic splendors with a fine sense of scale but its narrative thrust seemingly relatively pro forma, and I was bored by the battle scenes. I disagree. The battle scenes were the highlight. 
Peter Rainier of New York Magazine said, Tolkien completists won't find any of this overkill, but for those uninitiates among us, less is more is still a dictum worth heading. But I think Eric's spirit animal is, as far as a negative critic, would have been Richard Roper. He said, it's too long. That's it? Just, it's too long? It's, that was his, I love Richard Roper. That was his blurb. Yeah. It's too uh, long. On the positive side, yeah. there was a lot to choose from, so I, I picked three of our heavy hitters. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone. The movie is the real deal. It's a movie epic that pops your eyes out, piles on thrills and fun, and yet stays intimately attuned to character. Michael Wilmington from the Chicago Tribune said, An extraordinary work, grandly conceived, brilliantly executed, and wildly entertaining. And then, of course, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times. Peter Jackson, the New Zealand director who masterminded this film, has made a work for and of our times. It will be embraced, I suspect, by many Tolkien fans and take on aspects of a cult. It is an awesome production in its daring and breadth, and there are small touches that are just right. But one interesting thing real quick about Roger Ebert's review, he spent a lot of time on his review talking about how he remembered reading the books back in the 70s. He commented a lot about how the book is drastically different than the movie. So that's kind of interesting, but he still gave it, it a positive yeah. review. Have you gentlemen read the book? No. And, <laughs> Eric has. And, and I thought about it for this podcast, but I was like, no. And, be, and because of Roger Ebert's review, I don't think I'm going to read the books. Because I don't want to read about Hobbits for... Are they drastically different pages. than the movie? There's, there's a, a huge character that's left out in the very beginning of the movie. So it's not like you could be like, oh, this is the, the purest, you know, transformation of, you know, from book to page to screen. It's it's not. But there are some scenes that are like like that scene in the beginning where they're underneath the tree and the ring wraith comes out and there's all the bugs and all that. That is like word for word, panel for panel from the book. It gives you chills. You're like, oh, my God, that's exactly what it's like. But then there's yeah. other things. It's like, well, they're missing Tom Bandabil, you know, and or Bombadil. You know, it's just he's not even in there. Well, it is 22 hours to, for the audio book and there's three and a half hours for the movie. So you get to choose which one you want to do. It's like Oppenheimer. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say probably all three of you guys saw this in the theater. Yes, I did. Shocking. At least at least three yes. times. Yep. Oh, oh, wow. And I was thinking cable, but no, I see you in the theater for this one. All right. And for me, I don't know. I saw this thing probably 10, 15 years ago once. Just watched it again recently. That's a fair shake, though, Eric. I mean, if if you saw it 15 years ago and you watched it again, even if it was an unpleasant circumstance because you don't like it, that's still pretty fair. What do you mean? Well, think about it. You're you're doing a review podcast on it, right? And it's like you're reliving that trauma. <laughs> it's like if you didn't well, like it. 15 years ago, I did not like them. I put them out of my head, never to see them again. Here we are. We're doing the podcast. I'm like, all right, I am going to watch this movie with a clear conscience, open eyes, open mind. I'm going to just go in. I'm going to watch this. And I, that's what I did. 
I would say this before we went to see this movie initially, we saw the previews and every time we saw the previews, for whatever reason, me and my friend would laugh. We just thought it was silly and it was just well, ironically enough, the previews at the movie theater is like thirty eight minutes just for the preview. Yeah. Just for the previews. So, yeah. It was pretty long. It's where they had credits too. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. right. Yeah, they charged you an extra admission for it. <laughs> admission too, for the preview, yeah. I was thinking about this question the first time I saw it, and, you know, it was this movie that I think that caused me to delay watching, like, Harry Potter and stuff until, like, recently, because I was just kind of burnt out after three and a half, four hours worth of I have never seen a watching. Harry Potter movie in my life. I'm They're very proud so of that. different. They're worth your time. Sure but they are. It was, I, it, I was done with the fantasy, ironically least, enough. It's that type of fantasy. Right. So, yeah. Right say this about this these movies it's not the greatest trilogy in movie history here we go we know there's only one trilogy there's only one trilogy back to the future there's only one trilogy and that's star wars that's the other phrase you say there's there's only only one star wars and there's only one return and that's the jedi not of the king yeah return of the dragon I just want to point out, gentlemen, before I lead the uh, the charge Uh-oh. here, this is my One wedding ring, ring, and it is literally a uh, black orchid speech uh, ring. Uh, my wife got this for me. It glows in the dark, so that's my wedding ring. That's is awesome. that the same style as the ring from this movie? It is. You, you can't see the script on it. It's what shows up after they put it in the fire, and you can see it. It's red all around, like the black metal. Wait so. a second. He just disappeared. What the heck? Wow. Yep. I read this book when I was in fourth grade. I I went from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to The Hobbit to directly into Lord of the Rings through Return of the King. I had the (laughs) maps, the appendices, the unfinished tales. Maybe I'll just leave the podcast right now and (laughs) just let you guys just go to town on it. I'm I'm no Stephen Colbert. I'm just saying I I really enjoy this, this world. I, I will bet you money I will probably prefer you telling me about this movie than the actual movie. Let's It'll... kick it off, Ken, the plot, and keep it under 38 minutes. I will do my best. It's going to be a challenge. <laughs> In the second age of Middle-earth, the lords of elves, dwarves, oh. and men are given the rings of power. Unbeknownst to them, the Dark Lord Sauron forges one ring in Mount Doom, instilling into it a great part of, of his power to dominate the other rings and conquer Middle-earth. A final alliance of men and elves battles Sauron's forces in Mordor. This is going to be fun. Uh, Dick Ken, this is your worst nightmare of a plot. Yeah, yeah, All is. these names are just these going to kill, names are gonna kill you, dude. Oh, my goodness. Mordor okay. and Bob Geldof, the wise, or whatever the whole name <laughs> is. Yeah. Bob Geldof. Uh, Peaches Geldof. Yeah. Isidore of Gondor severs Sauron's fingers and the ring with it, thereby vanquishing Sauron and returning him to spirit form. With Sauron's first defeat, the Third Age of Middle-earth begins. The ring's influence corrupts Isidore, who takes it for himself and is later killed by orcs. The ring is lost in the river for 2,500 years until it's found by Gollum. The ring abandons Gollum and is subsequently found by a hobbit named Bilbo Baggins. Sixty years later, Bilbo celebrates his 111th birthday, reuniting him with old friends and the wizard Gandalf the Grey. Bilbo departs the Shire for one last adventure, and he leaves his inheritance, including the ring, to his nephew Frodo. Gandalf investigates the ring, discovers its true nature, and learns that Gollum was captured and brutally tortured by Sauron's orcs, revealing two words during the interrogation, Shire and Baggins. Gandalf returns and warns Frodo to leave the Shire. As Frodo departs with his friend Gardner Sam, 
Gandalf rides to Isengard to meet with the wizard Saruman, but discovers his betrayal and alliance with Sauron, who has dispatched his nine undead, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, Nazgil? Nazgul, okay. Nazgil, whatever. Servants to find Frodo. Frodo and Sam are joined by fellow hobbits Merry and Pippin, and they evade the Nazgul before arriving in Bree, where they are met to meet with Gandalf at the end of the Prancing Pony. However, Gandalf never arrives, having been taken prisoner by Saruman. The hobbits are then aided by a ranger named Strider, who promises to escort them to Riverdale. However, they are ambushed by the Nazgul, and their leader, the Witch King, stabs Frodo with a Morgul blade. Arwen, an elf, and Strider's beloved locate Strider and rescues Frodo, summoning floodwaters that sweep the Nazgul away. She takes him to Rivendell, where he is healed by the elves. Frodo meets with Gandalf, who escapes Isengard on a great eagle. Arwen's father, Lord Elrond, decides against keeping the ring in Rivendell. He holds a council of elves, men, and dwarves who also attend by Frodo and Gandalf that decides the ring must be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. Frodo volunteers to take the ring, accompanied by Gandalf, Sam, Merry, Pippin, Elf, Legolas, Legolas, Legolas. He's Legolas. He has no Legolas, uh, dwarf, he's Legolas. Dwarf Gimme, Bormel of Gondor, and Strider, who is actually Aragon, Isidore's heir and the rightful king of Gondor. Bilbo, now living in Rivendell, gives Frodo his sword sting and a chainmail shirt made of Mithril. The Fellowship of the Ring makes for the gap of Rohan, but discover it is being watched by Saruman's spies. They instead set off over the mountain pass of Kyrdos, but Saruman summons a storm that forces them to travel through the mines of Mora, where a tentacle water beast blocks off the entrance with the Fellowship inside, giving no choice but to journey to the exit on the other end. After finding the dwarves of Moria dead, the Fellowship is attacked by orcs and a cave troll. While the others escape, Gandalf fends off the Balrog and casts it into the vast chasm, but the Balrog drags Gandalf down into the darkness with him. The devastated Fellowship reaches Lothoran, ruled by the Elf Queen Galadriel, who privately informs Frodo that only he can complete the quest and that one of the Fellowship will try to take the ring. She also shows him a vision of the future in which Saruman succeeds in enslaving Middle-earth, including the Shire. Meanwhile, Saruman creates an army of Yurkai. Of Yurkai, <laughs> yeah, of Yurkai in Isengard to find and kill the Fellowship. I should have had you do this, Justin. The Fellowship travels by river to Parth Galen. Frodo wanders off and is confronted by Boromil, who tries to take the ring. Yurkai scouts then ambush the Fellowship Attempting to deduct the hobbits, Bormel breaks free of the ring's magic and protects Merry and Pippin, but the Yurikai leader mortally wounds Bormel as they abduct the hobbits. Aragom arrives and kills Lutz before confronting Bormel as he dies. Fearing the ring will corrupt his friends, Frodo decides to travel to Mordor alone, but allows Sam to come along, recalling his promise to Gandalf to look after him. Frodo and Sam make their way down to the mountain pass on their way to Mordor. The end. Guys, was was this your favorite Sean Bean death scene? You know how he dies in every movie, pretty much, no. with the exception. <laughs> uh, is he the guy? Game... Is he the guy that took the three arrows in the chest? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's Game good. of Thrones. It's the same thing. Same era. Game of Thrones is awesome. It's much better than Lord of the Rings. No, nah, this is probably the the best death scene for me. I like one. it because he gets super pale and all that, and he's like, "I, I tried to take the ring," you know. <laughs> he lasts for a long time. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. <laughs> like, like, kind of like Ken's plot. 
So it's now time for the reviews, isn't it, Eric? Apparently it is time for the reviews. Yes, please. Wow. Well, wait a minute. We haven't we haven't even talked about this. Like, there's a lot no, of I, stuff that you can I'll digest. I'll kick it off. No. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. I love the story. There are parts watching it on film that are not interminable, but very lengthy. The whole beginning sequence of the party and everything like that. There's so much that could have been cut out to make it tighter. I'm sorry, but the best parts of the movie, and this was one of the things that Roger Ebert was say, said in his re- full review, Closing if, you go and, if you go and read it, he decried the fact that it's all about wizards and, and the battle scenes. The scenes between Ian McKellen and Christopher Lee are am- amazing because Christopher Lee is, he is the Dos Equis most interesting man who ever lived. That's and fair. he's an amazing actor. Sir Ian McKellen is awesome. But there are just parts that just really drags. Did you and guys see like, that there's a cut where they removed all the walking? That would be <laughs> that would be that would be amazing. It would yeah. be a, literally a two hour movie. Is it just you literally can, yeah, cut you, in half on the time? You can, yeah, you can you can watch the cut where they remove all the walking from Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> it's it's kind of like Topher Grace's cut of the prequel Star Wars movies. Yeah, it's like a half an hour long. It's perfect. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have to disagree, though, with the beginning part needing to be, like, cut. I think it establishes what's so good about the world, you know, and what's so good about, the, you know, the hobbits, you know, seeing kind of that almost like innocent fun that the, the hobbits have. And if you don't show how good life can be, what is it worth fighting for for the rest of the movie? So I agree to have that party at the beginning of the movie. I think it's a lot of fun. The fireworks are, are a lot of fun and introduces us to all the characters. I think it's needed. I, I mean, could you cut it a little bit short? Maybe, but I think you really do need that scene. Justin, what I'm do sure, hobbits yeah. do? What, what do hobbits do? So hobbits are about comfort. They're about staying at home and avoiding adventures. They're they're not xenophobic. They'll welcome in a traveler, but you know they're wary, you know, of uh, outsiders to to a point. And they tend to uh, value the ways of comfort rather than the ways of uh, you know greed or avarice or you know uh, seeking treasure. And and basically they like... were based on English on uh, the English because yeah. if, if you look at this and dissect it, it's like okay, this is like. The English are the hobbits, and maybe the, I don't know, Norwegians would be the elves, and, you know, the Germans at the time would be the Urukai, and, you know, anything like that, because hey this was post-World War II. Some of us here are German. Hey, I understand. I'm just saying that this is based on, you know, a writer yeah, who experienced a little German more. New, I know a little German, yes. <laughs> He's sitting over there. None of us are German. We're all American. Let's move on. (laughs) But, um, you know, they're they're about comfort. They're about, you know, like the luxuries of of having things like a full larder, you know, or uh, candles and books and things like that. And smoking the weed. Yeah, that is very true. They do like they do like like that long bottom leaf. Yes, Yes. they uh, They like to eat. They are in full uh, cohort with Willie Nelson and Snoop Dogg. (laughs) Yeah, the Hobbit. Hobbit gummies. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I was just going to mention about the world-building aspect of this. The thing that this movie does right and sets the precedent for is every detail that they made of the houses, of the set pieces, of the weapons, the armor, the costumes, and all that. If you 
take everything else out of this. It, you could have had like different actors or anything else like that, but it's like that piece was so true to form for everything and just really enhanced all the realism in this film. So yes, the mm-hmm. walking is terrible in this early 2001 or late 2001 CGI, the, the watcher in the water. Oh my God. Like you watch that in high definition. I'm like, Oh man, that is something. <laughs> you know? and, and it's something interesting because I think the CGI for the most part holds up very well, but there are parts. Yeah. First of all, it's and nobody can argue that this is a beautiful looking movie. Oh, I the mean, cinematography is amazing. New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. Is, no, I is can't argue amazing. with that. Yeah, New Zealand's I mean, beautiful. We're, we're redoing Maverick right now, and we're talking about the soundtrack by Clint Black. What? No. No. It's no. <laughs> the soundtrack for me, like when I got to the end of the, of the movie, the soundtrack sounded like I was watching the Titanic again. I oh, felt man. like well, I was watching Howard Dion. Come on. It is Howard Shore. Oh, it's so, so good. And his all nurse yeah. band. Was Titanic Hans Zimmer, or was it Howard Shore? I like the, the music in this movie. I think the music in this movie is really good as well. I think oh, it's the, good. The, it just the orchestrations look, are amazing. It's good, mm, but it, for me, at times it sounded like I was watching Titanic. If it was Howard Shore, this probably would have been the next movie he did. You know, right after that. So, I mean, you get some of that influence into this, and with Titanic, you have that European flair as well. You know, with the the flutes and and all of that, and that's the sound of Hobbiton, dulcimer there, flute, and all that. This is Howard Shore for this, right? Yeah. Are, are we yes. asking? Is that, are we asking about Titanic? Is Titanic was that Hans Zimmer or was it Howard Shore? It you wasn't John Williams. Williams. No, yeah, right. <laughs> was it John Williams? <laughs> dun, 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 you, crash your ship. Fifty shot. Yeah. yeah. You have a real Enya vibe. Yeah. Um, yeah. From some of the the individual music, but the orchestrations and the choral, uh, the chorale music that that they do is, I think, is just amazing. And what what do you think of the set designs and all of that, uh, fellas? Like um, like with Lothlorien and and Rivendell and the Shire and all that. It's transfixing. It really is. Like Ken said, it is beautifully shot. One of my favorite parts of the whole movie, if you're talking about like character builds and everything, are the Nazgul. I think they're badass. They're so I, cool. That they made them really look awesome. They deserved a better death. So James Horner was the one for Titanic. James Horner, ah, that's right. He okay. was actually offered this job, but he turned it down. And that's that why they went sense. with Howard Shore. He couldn't write songs this long. <laughs> yeah. So they asked yeah. Polly Shore if we can get Howard Shore, and I guess it all worked out. So. Ooh, buddy. I like I like a good crossover between Lord of the Rings and Polly Shore. Well done. Polly Shore probably could have been a hobbit. He kind of looks like a hobbit. Yeah, I've met him. He's a hobbit. I guess I'll kind of like like kick this off because obviously you know I'm excited by this. Um, what what do you guys think of the characters? Like, is there any character that stands out for you? Surprising wise, I think Liv Tyler. I I didn't think she had strong acting range up to this particular point. I mean, she's a very beautiful woman, but I thought her acting chops here really showed, especially in this first movie. I was rarely impressed. I won't say she's my favorite performance here, but she's the one that surprises me the most. And what had she done besides Aerosmith videos and Empire Records before this, right? Um, right. Armageddon. Was Arma- Armageddon before this? That yeah, would have been but, 99, but she was, I think. She was in a movie, I believe, with Jeremy Irons called Stealing Beauty. Yeah, I've seen that um, movie, too. That She was really good in that, too. Well, she wouldn't have been in, invented very... the Abbots yet. I know that. Yeah, so she would have already done that thing you do. Her main movies would have been Empire Records, Stealing Beauty, That Thing You Do, Inventing the Abbots. Oh, okay. <laughs> the movie before this one was One Night at McCool's. 
Oh, one talk about cool. Lord. And then after this, it was Jersey Girl. So talk about movies hey, that are just hey, hey, love hey, Jersey hey, Girl. No, 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 no. Jersey Girl is awesome. I love That's Jersey a great, Girl. Her, great her first film, though, I'm a big fan of called Silent Fall. It's a really, really interesting thriller. I highly recommend it. It's with uh, Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, okay. I guess then then um, this would be pretty much the height of her popularity as an actress post-Armageddon. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. She's kind of disappeared over the last number of years. Yeah, she's probably raising a family, all that stuff. She was married to the lead singer of Space Hog. And then I think they got a divorce. <laughs> yeah. As far as like favorite characters, it's like I'm a huge Christopher Lee fan. Like I said before, he is the world's most interesting man. Just Google him. He's amazing. So that kind of goes without saying. But, you know, Viggo Mortensen... Yes. Was yeah. really a no-name person here. Peter Jackson found him as he was doing a movie off the West End in, in London. The West End is London's Broadway. And he was doing a, a show off of the West End, and they found him. And to find somebody that has the breadth that he shows in this movie, it really sets up his entire the rest of his entire career. I also like Sean Bean, even though it, I know he's, he, quote-unquote, he dies in every movie. This really sets Sean Bean up yeah. because at the height of Sean Bean is, of, in my opinion, is Game of Thrones. And I don't think that he might not take the job for Game of Thrones if he hadn't done Fellowship of the Ring. He is literally um, in four episodes of Game of Thrones. No, he's in the most of the first season. Is it more than four episodes, though? Oh, yeah. yeah. I disagree with you about the Sean Bean, though, because I think he had enough a background of stuff that he has done. I don't think this is like the pinnacle of his career or no, Game of Thrones no. is. Come on. Game of Thrones was he, a massive He already had hit. been known as somebody that dies in every movie before he even did this movie. So he, he already died had national that. treasure. That's it. He died in golden eye and golden eye. Yeah. He really comes into his own as far as an actor through here and through Game of Thrones. I think he's a little I mean, overrated here, though, in this movie. To be perfectly honest, I think he overacts a little bit, especially at that last scene when he's dying. I feel like we're getting a little bit too much. For me, the the person that stands up the most is Ian McKellen. He makes this movie go. We wait for Gandalf to, to appear in every scene because, like, our favorite word, it seems like sometimes, is legitimacy. He brings that to this movie. With his performance, it brings everything together. I think that's the performance here that really makes this go. Because I even think Elijah Wood and the rest of the Hobbits, I think they overact a little bit at times in this movie as well. No. The only one, Ian and uh, Vigo are the only ones, I think, that don't overact in this movie. Well, including with Tyler. I 100% agree with you about the overacting. But I think with the Hobbits, like with Merry and Pippin and Sam and Frodo, you have such a tepid middle of the road Frodo and then you've got like Sam who has yet to come into his own in the movies he will as we get further but like who is the, the whiniest person in this movie the the comic relief between oh. like Dominic Moynihan and Billy Boyd oh mwah, chef's kiss I love watching those two just like whenever they're together I'm like oh they're gonna do something silly and about. in fact what and later on we'll, we'll see them in the next movies when they when they're separated they're not yeah. as good. They're they're really good together. Oh, yeah. I agree with you on that. They should have a think... podcast. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think th Hugo Weaving is a bit overdone in this one. Like when you see him really kind of enunciating and he's like, Isildur betrayed us, you know, and I'm like, okay, take it down a little Red Skull. 
I, that would I be the one one for me. <laughs> when he comes on screen, all I can hear is Mr. Anderson. It's such a juxtaposition, like of those two characters too. You're like, oh, this guy is supposed to be like one of the Elven kings of old, right? You know? and it's like he's also talking about the Matrix and shit. So that's the one for me where it's like, okay, I get why he used him and all that. It's just a little over the top for me. That that would be my choice, Eric. Oh, you want to know who my favorite character is, or least Uh-oh. favorite? My least favorite is is Sean Astin. Okay, and I want I wanted an arrow to go through his chest twenty minutes into this thing. Why? Oh, well, let's hope because oh, he's like, don't go, don't you can't swim. I was hoping he'd drown. Nope. Every time I wanted someone to kick the bucket, nope. They just keep living. I disagree with Ted though. I I am not fond of Christopher Lee in this. I, I like Christopher Lee. Don't get me wrong, but in this, I think it's just kind of. I, I just I don't get it. It doesn't fit. I mean, Ian McKellen, I can see he he definitely ties everything together. I guess I like Orlando Bloom. I think yeah. uh, Orlando Bloom's character is is interesting. It's interesting that he doesn't run out of arrows at any time. I well, mean, that's I very interesting. Ju- I was just going to say that. How about that hair? Ooh, boy. Yeah. I mean, so. I mean I'm watching it. It's like, he is. does he have a special skill that, like, arrows just magically appear behind yeah, him? And he just absolutely. keeps on shooting them? Because he shoots about a, especially if we look on later movies, when we talk about it. He shoots a oh, whole yeah. lot more arrows than he does in this movie. In the uh, Moria, you could see him actually pulling the arrows out of things and using them again, but it is not oh, okay. consistent throughout the whole thing. So yeah. you know, yeah, he would he would definitely be uh, docked points by the uh, the dungeon master in a D and D game for sure. Um, and I'm surprised I, I you didn't bring up Gimli, uh, John you know? John Reese Davies. Yeah. Well, fun fact: John Reese Davies was uh, interviewed by Justin on another podcast. Very that, true. He talked about real... how he uh, lost the tip of his finger um, in an engine they were trying to fix on uh, on set here for uh, the two towers. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, yeah. He That's actually lost like the tip of his finger. That's pretty crazy. He was so nonchalant about it too, and I was like, "Huh, okay." There's some crazy stuff. I think he's he's one of the people that you could not replace like at all in this film, just because of what he adds and brings to it. The idea that it's like, he's just this little rough and tumble person with that big voice behind it. And I just, yeah. I enjoy his performance so much. I like him I more as we get into the other movies. I think this one, I'm not saying that it's phoned in, but I don't think he's given a lot to work with. I mean, he, we do get into his people and he's, he's freaking out. I think he over freaks out a little bit. And I'm wondering when this all happened as far as all the doors being killed off. Because it seems like he has no idea. And wait a second, doesn't he know this place like the back of his hand? How come he doesn't no. know which way to go? They're also long lived. They don't show up in like, like, they're like, oh, I haven't been here in five years. It's like, oh, I haven't been here in 90 years. Like that's, that's what it's like because they're also long lived. Dwarves could be like 500 years old and elves could be thousands of years old, like Elrond and Galadriel. So he, he hadn't been there. He was just, oh, I always wondered what happened to my cousin Balin. And Balin was one of the original uh, 13 dwarves, or 12 dwarves, I should say, from The Hobbit. So that's where it ties through. And Gimli, his father was one of those. So, you know, it ties back to the original book. So he's kind of a second generation, just like Frodo. And just like Aragorn and Boromir and all of them. I think that's why you need to read the book or watch the, the Hobbit movies, which... I haven't been able to get through all three of them yet. I, I, I will say it's it's funny because a lot of people who have read this book, like I would say the majority of people who have read these books are not angry at these movies, which is very different than Star Wars fans who are angry about so much. About yeah. everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
like that well, wasn't the I color of like, his lightsaber. I don't like fellow Star Wars fans, so <laughs> I know they I know. they become whiny little complainers. So we all know the best Star Wars is Caravan of Courage. You know, it's just the Chris, it's the it's the Christmas special. Oh yeah, yeah. Happy Life Day. <laughs> the Christmas special rocks. I think it's the Arthur Mar- outstanding. I think it's the when Mark Hamill shows up on the Muppet Show. That is, yeah, pigs in space. <laughs> yep. Okay, so I have a question. When they're going into the mines of Moria, Gandalf's the smartest person in the movie. Why doesn't he know that it's a riddle? And why does Frodo yeah. have to point it out? What, do you remember what Saruman said to him? Uh-uh. Saruman said to him, you've dulled your senses with your love of the Hobbit's leaf. Oh, yeah, he smoked too much weed. Yep. Um, <laughs> That's he's right. Smoking the, smoking yep. the weed. Is that why that he doesn't figure gotcha. out which tunnel to go to later on? He's just he's yeah. a little well, too that's, high. that's the thing. Gandalf is not someone who's corrupted by things like when he, he passes his test of the ring in the beginning. Galadriel passed her test and, and all that as well. But if Gandalf was to take that ring and try to make himself powerful and all that, he knows he's not that guy. He's just the gray wandering wizard. The head wizard is, is the white wizard, right? You know, he's the one who gets the power and is the most powerful and all that. Gandalf is a, a sage. He likes to read. He likes to experiment and do things with nature and, and things hang like that. So, yeah. Hang yeah. out with hobbits. That's, he prefers that in staying in a library than interfering with the ways of man. So he tries to stay out of these things. And in doing so, he keeps himself safe from corruption and, you know, helps out where he can. So. Okay. The fact that he didn't know that, you know, it's not out of character because he probably okay. forgot more than anyone's ever known. <laughs> gotcha. The monster that's in the lake, is that Cthulhu? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course it is. I, that's some HP Lovecraft stuff going on there. I'm sure, yeah. You know, the Watcher in the Water was just kind of like a giant sort of octopus that was meant okay. and uh, went after uh, the pony. Who survived, by the way? So, question about Saron. If... They found the ring earlier. Do you think he would have flipped sides? Or do you think he would have always been on the side of of the eye? Uh, Sauron was corrupted by use of the Palantir. You guys ever see those jokes, those memes about like pondering the orb? So um, um, no. the Palantir is basically like a crystal ball that allows you to see things. You know, like the, like the Wicked Witch of the West had one. So in looking through the Palantir and Sauron was alive, you could see the, the glowing eye and all that. He invaded his mind and corrupted it with promises of power and of being, you know, the right hand to the master and all that. That's what inevitably got him. Right. And Gogoff, when he was there, realized and tried to cover it up, but he accidentally touched it. So he, he saw the eye for like one brief second. But there he should have realized that his friend here not a good guy. He he goes to one door and then he goes to the next door. I mean, I'm sorry, but once one door closes on you automatically, I think you know that your friend's trying to keep you from getting out. So I this think is, that was a This is overkill. your Willie Nelson wizard, right? Again, you know, your Willie Nelson wizard who's kind of like, oh man, Dave's not here. Oh crap. You know, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, that's, that's the thing. He, he was never sharp because he didn't have to be and he was just trusting. So basically, he's he's like your Jeff Lebowski sort of character who's looking to get his rug. Spicoli like, the wizard. He, you know, it's it's funny because they they talk about Spicoli and they say like that he was actually a genius and actually had like the sage wisdom about him. You know, I I, I can see that aspect of of Gandalf, and he's like no shirt, Whoa, no shoes, bummer. no dice. Yeah, I I like to consider him closer to um, how was it Brody from uh, Point Break? I really do like most of the characters and the actors. 
if I had to choose a least favorite, I can see the complaints with Sean Bean. Some of his acting is a little bit overdone, but overall, I like the character a lot, and I wouldn't change him out for anybody else, really. Because when I was going through some stuff that I was reading, it's like, as far as Aragon goes, they wanted Daniel Day-Lewis. I don't know if this is a Daniel Day-Lewis role. He would make it too big. You know, I kind of agree with Eric a little bit, because I even think Elijah Wood does a good job in places. I mean, I really get that he's crying in in certain places, but Elijah Wood and Sean Astin kind of get on my nerves a little bit. I could see that in this one, and there's a lot of that in the character, but the character is that guy. The color commentary right. by Marion Pippin, and, and then like eventually when you see like the transformation that Samwise has into the hero of that he becomes, you know, um, everybody has this arc, and we're just at the beginning of it. I do find yeah. it interesting that Frodo, for a guy who is entrusted with the ring and told not to put it on, puts it on a lot. It almost seems like almost every chance he can get, he's putting on this ring and, and making these kings find him. It seems like, though, when he does it, he has to do it. It's not like he's doing it just to see what it feels like to put the ring on. I mean, there's actual reasons. And it actually, that he risks his life the first time he does it because the Nazgul almost almost get him if Strider hadn't, or Aragon hadn't taken them to a different... Uh, Rivendell. Yeah. I think it's interesting enough, though, that he's like the one who shows resistance to the ring. But throughout the whole film, everybody's showing resistance to the ring. Gandalf the Grey is showing resistance to the ring. Aragon showing resistance to the ring. Kate Blanchett, and I don't know the name of her character. She shows resistance to the ring. Everybody no, she seems here. Yes, yeah, she does. She denies. No, she, she denies doesn't. it. She Where, she turns into that it? negative thing. But she you know. turns. She turns. Yeah, she's, she she shows she what, what will test. happen if. But she shows what how it would corrupt her. Yeah, because why would she? Why would, it's offered why would to, that... because it's offered to her freely. Yeah, I disagree with you big time. There, no. Every person here realizes that they're being corrupted by by the ring. I, even Gandalf knows that he, he won't was, touch it. He wouldn't yeah, even touch, he won't it, even with touch his, it with his hand. But I'm just saying that he's offering this ring to other people, and they won't take it. I'm just saying for somebody who... He knew what was going to happen from the beginning that he got there. He knew what was going to happen. I'm just saying that's, that, that's why he makes that look about Frodo because, you know, he he knew that that was going to be the outcome because he was the only person that could bear the burden. I'm just saying most people are supposed to want to have a, heart, a strong desire for that ring that they can't resist it, and it seems like a lot of people are able to resist at least taking the ring. Well, I mean, but we isn't that kind of Gimli because he smashed his axe? You know, but isn't that kind of like normal human beings? everybody's resistance is a little bit different. That's fair. I mean, because like Aragon is like, he's a true hero. I mean, having him be immediately corrupted the moment he sees the ring is kind of defeating his arc as a, as a character. Boromir is the only one that actually tries to get the ring. Ah, the whole group, just one person. Well, well this, because this he's ring seen, cursed he's Aragorn's what, line. Yeah. And Boromir also has, we come to find out in the later movies that, He's seen the horror that Gondor has gone through outside of Mordor. They're under constant attack. Yep. Yeah, it makes sense that he would be more easily corrupted by power that the ring wields. 
I mean, Gimli could possibly want the ring after he sees what it does to, you know, all his people have been killed. <laughs> he probably should be like, give me that ring. I'm ready to take these people on. I guess I understand what you're saying about that, that they can resist it because they know the power of it and they know they're educated well on its corruption. I just would like to see a little bit more of people going trying to get that ring. Oh, read Besides, the book. <laughs> That's the thing. Outside of the opposition, I, I wanted to, like... This movie is about him not trusting people within his group, feeling like everybody in his group is going to try to take that ring from him. But really only one person out of the whole group tries to do that. And he tries to flee the group because he, you know, I needed to see a little bit more, well, a little well, bit think, more think of, of that. Way. He has the ring, right? Aragorn knows the ring is bad news already. So Merry and Pippin and Sam don't want the ring because it's their friend's ring. And they already know that bad things happen. The ring is calling the Nazgul, right? They don't want any part of that. Which is, is fine. So that takes them off. This ring decimated an axe of Gimli. With the elves, Legolas is is like blood brothers with Aragorn. So he's going to do whatever Aragorn needs. So he would never, you know, sacrifice his pride, you know, to take something that he has no use for. So really the only person who has that flaw is Boromir. You have to have that sort of light and darkness difference from two people who are from the same place of Gondor, because Aragorn is the heir to Gondor, and the, the steward's son is Boromir. They're the same background. They're both nobility. One can resist this ring, and he's going to go on to be in the third movie, and we know what that is. And then the other one, he's the one that makes that fatal mistake of trying to take the ring. So not everyone's trying to take it. It's just Boromir. Frodo thinks that everybody's going to try to take it from him. Well, Bilbo's trying to take it from him for sure. <laughs> actually, that's one of my favorite scenes was, is Bilbo trying to take it. And his face changing. Yes. I love that scene. That's that one of cool? my favorite. When they're in uh, Rivendell, I really enjoy that part of the movie. I know it slows everything down. They have to discuss what they're going to do with the ring and everything. But I just love the scenery there. I, I, yeah. It's just it's very oh, it's beautiful. and. Like, you are talking about how long this is, but to be honest, for a three-and-a-half-hour movie, pretty quickly for three-and-a-half hours. Does it feel like a long movie? Yes. I think it actually has good pacing, in my opinion. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I'm just saying that there are things that could have made it tighter. There's just a lot. It's chock-full of information. It can drag a little bit in places. But if we're going to talk about favorite scenes... I have a couple. I love the scene where Sauron is creating the Anakai, and he creates the leader. I think that's really cool. I like the battle between Gandalf and the Balrog. The whole thing in Moria, I think, is really fascinating. Yeah. I love that the fact that they get surrounded by all of the orcs, and then they hear the Balrog, and they all scatter. I like that a lot. They have a cave of course, troll. I, I love the, the battle scenes between Gandalf and Sauron, too. Yeah, they were going to blows there with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, does their power come from their staff? Because it looked like once he got Gandalf's staff, that he was, Gandalf was basically, he was done. Pretty much accurate. It's, it's like a focal point for their magic. He does have a crystal in his staff, and the wizard will channel its uh, magic, in this universe at least, through a staff. That is what happened there. Kind of like Thor's hammer. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, they're still magical. They're still immortal. You know, they're still incredibly hard to kill. It's not like like a, a wizard's duel or something like that with like Dumbledore or something like that. It's just they wouldn't have the same level of magic without their staff. But they'd still be incredibly hardy and hard to kill. I actually enjoy when they're in the town 
and they're they're lodging, and that's when they first uh, meet Aragon. I don't know why I like this setup here. I think I like it because we're introduced Aragon as kind of a badass, badass ranger, basically kicks ass and takes names. It feels like throughout the rest of the movie, even though he does still kick ass, later on uh, when Liv Tyler shows up, when he's looking for the weed to, to help slow down the, the process. Oh, the, an- the anphalas, yeah. Yes, she basically goes, a ranger caught off guard. I mean, I, I like the, the beginning here, and I like the fact that you have the kings that show up, and then they, they're stabbing in the wrong room. But I think it's interesting, you have that guy at the door, and they run him down with, with the horses, but it doesn't look like there's any body underneath the door when they go right straight through. For whatever reason, I, I enjoy these little things. I think I like the change of scenery. We have the Shire, and then we see them, and I know you guys hate the fact that they're walking all the time, but we get to see different aspects of how differently people live and where they live, and I think is a charm of the movie. Definitely. I want to say, and this this will go to something um, Eric and Ted can, can agree with here, but um, that battle on Weathertop, the journey to get to that point is what they based the song uh, Ramble On by Led Zeppelin yes. on. So it's like, ah. well, get to that point. So, you know, leaves are falling all around. It's time I was on my way. Thanks for you. Yep. Much obliged for su- such a pleasant stay in, in Bree. You know, now it's time for me to go. The autumn moon lights my way. And I have uh, seen the rain and with it pain. And it's headed our way. Darkest Steps of Mordor, Gollum and the Evil One crept up and swept away. All, all of that stuff. Like Led Zeppelin, like a third of their songs are about Lord of the Rings. So, yeah. but, I mean, that's such a really cool thing. When you see Viggo Mortensen going at it with a sword and, and with the torch and all that, that is like commitment. And like you believe that this guy is like a sword and sorcerer, like battler, you know, on all the time. And they said that he was one of the best trained swordsmen they had ever seen. So it's wow, like just really? watching watching him go at it. You're like, yes, I buy that. There is one yeah. who, who I would follow. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> and 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 in the Led Zeppelin vein, every time I watch the movie and I hear Gandalf say the Misty Mountains, it reminds me of Misty Mountain. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, another allusion to it. And and I mean, when you get to the third movie, you've got the Battle of Evermore. So right. that's the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, which is such an amazing moment. That is so, so ironic because those are probably three of my least favorite Led least Zeppelin favorite songs. songs. Okay. Seriously, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm I'm not kidding. They really are like Ramble On. And and I just we just can't win with you, can we? I'm just no. saying, man. If you could get Cashmere in this movie, we got a winner. <laughs> no, what, why um, I don't like Cashmere? Like, I love Cashmere. No, no okay. it's my favorite. Yeah. I'm just no, saying. I'm like that riff alone. I'm that's like, what I'm yeah. talking about. If you could get that riff in this movie, I might, I might jump on board. I, I love that rhythm section. And I know this is a, a little bit of a. a Illusion. You should check us out on the uh, the other podcast we do, the uh, Generation Playlist, where we'll talk about music. But um, shameless just plug, like, shameless plug. You know, the uh, Ramble On, where you've got that sort of guitar riff, and it's just like an acoustic riff behind it. I could definitely see in my mind's eye the hobbits walking through the cornfield and yeah. going to Bree and moving on like to that music. And Elevensies. Oh, I don't think he knows about Elevensies, Pip. You know <laughs> Yeah, Misty Mountain Hop drives me nuts. Not to get on a tangent, but that's my least favorite it. Led Zeppelin song. I thought one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs was your least favorite. Because I like when the levee breaks. Do you? Yeah. Chicago. I love the version. Not that we're, we're going on a tangent here, but Into the Outdoor, I, I think it's a very underrated album. I agree. 
Well, we can yeah, we'll going, save that for the generation playlist podcast. There we yeah, go. We, should, right. we should do that. Going back to the movie, what I, I like here is <laughs> is how the film is made. The camera tricks that we have here to make the hobbits the height that they are. I think for the most part, it's seamless. When we notice it being kind of awkward, is more when that when we don't see the hobbits up close. Like we can't make out Elijah Wood and Sean Astin and and the others. But I think they do a really good job of blending the size of the characters. And I mean, we're talking about this movie is over 20 years old. Peter Jackson is, a, is an amazing director. He knows how to make a film and he knows the tricks of the trade. I think a lot of things he did here are just incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love the Frighteners and, and the Frighteners was one that he had done before this, you know, and uh, meet the Feebles, the Frighteners. And what was the other one? Dead Alive. What brought Peter Jackson to this film? Like, and then who knew he had this potential? Right, and now he's considered one of the, the the greats now because of this trilogy. I like the Frighteners too. It's a very um, interesting take on the supernatural. So, Originally going to be uh, Tales from the Crypt presents, but they took that off because they knew it could stand on its own. Interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, we were talking about the actors. I know Ted had talked about that the the part for um, Aragon was offered to Daniel Day Lewis. It's funny who was considered. Nicolas Cage was offered that role. Oh, dear God. And he turned it down. Thank um, God. They, they also offered it to Russell Crowe, but he, he didn't want to do it because of Gladiator. He didn't want to be like typecast in those type of fantasy it, roles. But those are two completely different. Yeah, I know. He, I, but he, I, he was weird at that time. He's weird at all times. What are you kidding? They actually had another actor, Stuart Townsend, who's actually already in the movie. They already started filming, and they realized he was too young for the part. Yeah. So that's the reason why they went with Vigo. So Vigo was not really the number one choice here. And then, like, Elijah Wood was, like, the number one choice. He was, like, the first person. Ian McCallan, yeah. So Stuart Townsend at this time was doing Lestat the Vampire in um, Queen of the Damned. Right. That's that's where he was. And then after that, mm. he went on to do Dorian Gray for um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. You have Viggo Mortensen. He had done two movies that I was aware of, Carlito's Way. And um, he played Lucifer in The Prophecy with Christopher Walken. You, you ever mm. see that where he literally just disincorporates into like a, a murder of crows? It's like visually so like breathtaking. You're like, oh, my God. You know, it's like or the opposite of that. You know, it's like. So, some more interesting people for these roles, and that we were just talking about Gandalf the Grey, Ian McKellen, but they had offered it to Sean Connery, but he he didn't get it. That um, would have been terrible. It would have been terrible. Patrick yeah. Stewart was offered it, but he didn't like the script. You know, Too much walking. John Aston was actually had actually auditioned for Gandalf. Um, yeah, that's not cool. That would have worked at all. So I, I'm happy that he didn't get. I mean, there's some really interesting people that were up for these parts. For Sam, uh, they had considered James Corden before they went with Sean Astin. Oh, <laughs> he would have ruined it like he ruined Cats. Wow, it, that, that was him that ruined that movie. That's great. Yeah, hey, it, come it on, the whole cast ruined people. that. Movie. It was everything that ruined that <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, There's a lot of people he, another Ian McKellen classic, Cats. Right. Yes. <laughs> so Tears Bruce Willis God. wanted to be Bormel, and Liam Neeson was sent the script, but he never responded to it. These are interesting people that that they went out and tried to get. There's a lot more actors for all the other roles, and that you know we could I could take more time off it, but I just thought the interest because people were interested in the book. Van Diesel, I believe, he also wanted to be Aragon. 
because he's a fan of the book. These guys were all fan yeah. of the books. And he, so he they're tra- fit, for sure. Like they, oh. they could have thrown him in the background or something like that. Or he should have played an orc or yeah. one of the Anakai. Throw, throw him in there. But um, Galadriel, there's there's really only one person I could ever see in that role, and that's Kate Blanchett. She is the epitome of that character. Just so fantastic. And, and I wasn't even like a huge fan of her work, but it's like when I saw her in this, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, that's just amazing. To me, outside could... of Meryl Streep, I think she is um, second best, if not top three actresses in the last 30 years. Yeah, I'm biased. Yeah. I could have seen Nicole Kidman. So yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't see that. Kibben, but they also considered uh, Lucy Lawless, Lawless, yeah, for this role as well. I don't think either of those actresses were at their peak yet to get to that point because Nicole Kidman now could do it. I don't think Nicole Kidman Eyes Wide Shut era could do it. I, I think mm. she still needed to do some growth, and and you've got that with like I don't know Dogtown and uh, what was the other one she was in? Uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? Like that mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman hadn't really progressed. You know, because yeah. you've got like far and away, and how about Batman Forever? Yeah, Dead Calm one <laughs> to die for. Yep, all these ones. The Peacemaker. That's that was like the movie yeah. she made before this. So it's like, yeah. yeah, we weren't there yet with her. Lucy Lawless I, would have been an interesting pick. I though, think because she's great. Xena, because yeah. she was playing Xena, Princess Xena. Warrior. So she kind of was in that already fantasy realm. So she probably would have been able to kind of fit. But and she... you see her in Spartacus, you know, a couple of years after this, when, when Spartacus comes out and you're like, oh, wow, this girl can act. Like, this is really good. Like, she's shown some real pathos here. Again, I don't think that they were at that point yet. They hadn't gotten to the point where they're like, oh, Kate Blanchett, you know. They would have had to have changed too much about Lucy Lawless. Because she's got, like, black hair, and Galadriel doesn't. Well, just slap a wig on her, and I think you're okay there. There's a lot of yeah. wigs in this movie. There's a, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> Let me talk about one of my favorite trilogies. You know, ob- obviously, if I was to put one trilogy at the top, I would put Back to the Future. I'm just saying. But uh, this, this is a lot of fun to rewatch. Heresy? It's the most original <laughs> film that's ever been made. You know, before we go into reviews you can't deny the cultural impact that not only this movie but this whole universe has made on popular culture watching the movie for me is like playing a role-playing game video game every role-playing game from final fantasy on it follows the lord of the rings like game plan you have a group of people that are on a trek to go do something. It's really interesting. And then, of course, like we mentioned, the Led Zeppelin connection. There's a genre of music called power metal that's all fantasy-based. And you have groups like Rainbow that with the lead singer Ronnie James Dio. And a lot of that's influenced by Lord of the Rings in the fantasy realm. And then, of course, Dungeons & Dragons. Without Lord of the Rings, is there Dungeons & Dragons? Probably I mean, not. Not for a it's, while. I mean, it, it could have happened. I was telling Ken this, you know, it's, for me, the the thing that really blows me away is, one, Peter Jackson did an amazing job putting the movie together. We can bicker back and forth about the, the length of the movie, and we can talk about different aspects, but he really put a vision on screen that is mesmerizing at times. And the fact that J.R.R. Tolkien, he might be one of the most creative people that has ever lived like almost Mozart level creative. He created an an entire universe out of whole cloth. 
that's mind blowing to me to be that creative and yeah. to have it be that successful. We're still talking about this, and these books were written in the four in the forties. It's pretty amazing if you really, really think about it and the cultural impact that they've had. What I think is really amazing is the studio having faith, given the reins of Peter Jackson, because all three films are filmed at the same time. It's not yes, like right. you filmed one film and see how it did, and then you went and filmed the other two. The studio had a lot of faith in these three movies. I mean, we talked about the budget being, I think it was like 80-something million dollars. I don't know if that's spread out between three movies or if that's just the one. They're saying that's I how much it went towards the one. it's just the one movie. The faith that they had in Peter Jackson and the faith they had in all of this is amazing. You don't see a trilogy being filmed all at once. It just doesn't happen. Star Wars, it didn't happen. Back to the Future, it didn't happen. It was kind of, all these things were kind of a wait and see type of thing. This movie, they took a risk and it worked out for them. It got nominated for 13 Academy Awards. It it won for Best Original Score and Best Makeup and also for Best Cinematography. You know, that and does then it, not shock me that it won those three. Those are the three yeah. best things about this film. And, I, and, and I, you, I mean, I'm like obviously a fan and I'll tell you those are the three best things about this film. Actually, I won am four at best visual effects. So I did have four. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's that not goes my favorite saying. thing about this movie. <laughs> I don't um, know what else was out there. I just you know? ruined it. Way to go, yeah, Ken. It's, it's still hard to see Harvey Weinstein being an executive producer of this movie. I will say this, though. Go watch I am Pulp happy <laughs> that it's... <laughs> I'm happy that it's a new line cinema release and not a Miramax release because in the years since everything went down with Harvey Weinstein, he's held on to control a lot of directors' original works and not allowed them to be released in um, higher definitions and things like that. One of the things I'm speaking is of dogma. dogma. He's holding them hostage, essentially, and he wasn't able to hold this hostage the 4K releases of this movie are worth your time. It's extremely clean. It's extremely bright and it's vivid. It's really worth it. Yeah, it is still hard to see Harvey Weinstein's name put up. I still watch Naked Gun. It's got a, you know, yeah. it's got OJ in it. You it's know, got OJ you can separate it, yeah. art from the artist, and you know, oh, I don't know how much Kevin Spacey movies. I mean, we just you we just have this. to you have to be able yeah. to separate art from the artist. I mean, think of all your rock stars. Let's be honest. Yeah, your football Neo. stars. Look at all your football stars. Come on, let's talk about Led Zeppelin. <laughs> let's talk about Led Zeppelin, right? No, we won't do that. <laughs> so, so here's here's a Led Zeppelin. This will be my last Led Zeppelin question. In, in terms of like uh, party members and all this, Gimli is obviously John Bonham, but is Jimmy Page <laughs> Gandalf or is he Aragorn? What? No, Page Ooh. in Song remains the same in the music movie from '76. So he's got to be the wizard then. Wasn't he? Was the wizard in his little dream yeah. sequence? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, so he's like Gandalf. Gandalf. If Robert Plant would probably be Aragon then. Yeah, and uh, Samwise would be um, would definitely be John Entwistle or no, not John Entwistle. Uh, John, <laughs> John Paul. Oh, that's the Who, yo. That's, yeah, so, <laughs> John, that's John the Paul Who, Jones. man. Come on now, <laughs> John Paul Jones, brother. He's Samwise. He, he'd follow him into Mordor, you know, strumming you on go. his lute. I swear that's the last Led Zeppelin. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> this episode. <laughs> this episode, right? I just mentioned about the awards that it won, and I think about the the best makeup, and I do think how they made up the hobbits, and then we also see the other characters, especially on the 
other side of the fence. Do you think they hit it out of the park with this? I mean, granted, it won an Academy Award. Do you buy all these different characters in this movie? Yeah, the Anakai are awesome. They're badass. I literally love those guys. My favorite makeup in the whole crew is the Nazgul. I think those guys are just, they're metal. I mean, if we're talking like, if we're taking a music reference, they're metal. They're awesome. They you see their horse is like a zombie horse with like blood oozing yeah. and such. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, they're freaking amazing. I totally buy them the makeup is, and the, the effects that they did for the orcs and everything. It's a, an amazing job that they did. Question for you guys, and Justin might know this best, uh, when it comes to the, it's Anakai's. Right, Uruk, mm-hmm. Urukai. I, I'm not, Urukai. I'm not correcting you guys because it's like you've said Aragon a couple times, which is a movie about a blue dragon, oh. but it's Aragon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but I, yeah. I'm not sure you guys go Urukai. Yeah. So, Justin, with the Urukais, how do they actually come to life? How are they created? I'm just. It's it's I like a weird pod that. thing. Like they're being artificially created with like these pods underneath the power of Orthentac Tower. So it like underground, they're breeding them and. and pulling them out of like these pods and they talk about how um, orcs were one time elves and they were corrupted Mm -hmm. by the dark power and all that. So now it's like, think of it. It's like a pod person, you know, they're, they're being like somewhat cloned in, in these little uh, Petri dishes or something like that of magic. They're basically genetically engineered orcs and goblins as, as Bilbo used to call them. So when you see the little goblins in, in um, Moria, you know, and they're all like climbing up on stuff and all that, that's different than the Urukai who are like, oh, wow, that guy's like seven feet tall and he's like really formidable. Yeah. Well, the Urukai then, they can run during the day. Too. Oh, yeah. So yeah. the orcs can't, is what Sauron says. And that's one of the best Christopher Lee scenes is he chews the scenery there. Lovely when he's, ta- when he's telling the leader of the Urukai that they were elves at one time and everything like that. That's, I love that white hand, you know, where they, yes, they take the... it's badass. Oh, so cool. So cool. My biggest problem with this movie is what I have a problem with a lot of movies is you got three real fighters in the Fellowship, right? And then you got the Hobbits. You have five real fighters. Five Aragorn, real fighters. Boromir, uh, wait, four, right? Four real fighters. Because four you've real got fighters. Gimli, Legolas, Aragorn, and Boromir. Those are yeah. those are the four. The, the rest, so have, no. And then you have a wizard, and then you have four uh, the hobbits, and somehow the hobbits are able to defeat a bunch of these trained killers. It I always have a problem where you have it's like eight or nine against you know two hundred people, and somehow the eight or nine wins. That's my biggest problem with when I see these two, these movies is believing that the hobbits already know how to sword fight after one lesson that they learned earlier in the movie. Sam is the only one because he has like unbridled courage is one of those things. He's going to be that person to protect. Like that's his archetype and all that. So he's fighting people with whatever means he has, which like you see him in the, in the beginning and the end, he's going after Aragorn and he's like, Oh, have you on shanks? And he's like, ah, very good. Mr. Habit. You know, and then he's fighting with, you know, whatever he has, he's got his frying pan, you know, a la tangled. He's the Mm -hmm. only one that's actually doing anything. Mary and Pippin are causing hygiene and all that and trying to save Frodo and Frodo is just he can't do anything so Sam's really the only one that picks it up I'll say that in this one but yeah they're they are not skilled fighters by any means yeah it's like the 100 against one type of deal I always have a problem with that just because these guys are basically killers and they're easily being defeated 
the orcs in Moria fall ill to one of the two greatest blunders. First being of never engaging a land war in Asia. So, <laughs> you know, they, they're not, out. yeah, they're, I mean, they, all they try to do is overwhelm with numbers and that really doesn't mean anything when they're trying to come into like a bottleneck and they're just getting slaughtered by coming into this mm-hmm. room. They're not strategists. They are just followers. They're, they're like fodder. Yeah. But the Urukai, that would be a different story. This that would not have gone on. It would have been done. Yeah. That's what mostly I'm talking about is the Urukai. Number of them they were able to defeat there at the end of the movie just seemed to be a little little much. Well it's gotta be a sequel. I mean Granted they actually lost that battle. Oh yeah. And that's a problem I have later on in the Return of the King, and we'll, I'll talk about that when we get to Return of the King, about overcoming like the numbers. There's something called like the the arc of the hero or the hero's journey, right? And it has to deal with ancient old way of storytelling. And it starts out with, you know, the hero and the struggles that he goes through. And then eventually there's some sort of supernatural help. And this goes back to like Greek mythology. Literally mm-hmm. any any mythology always has this. And if you look at, at Lord of the Rings, it's very much a story of Frodo and Sam and Gandalf. But it's really the arc of Aragorn. And it follows that sort of path to a T. You know, you're like, oh, okay. So when we get to the third movie, that's where that piece will come in, that supernatural bit of help. So without that linchpin, that piece, all would have been lost. Other part of that is what Frodo was going on. As you get further into this, into these books, it's going to be, okay, we've got six plots going on. What's going on now? So this was the first one where it's like, it's just a single kind of story with maybe a B-plot is Saruman. So, but next one, it's going to be like watching an episode of Game of Thrones where it's like, okay, what's up with this character? <laughs> I was surprised about how much Norse mythology is used in Lord of the Rings as well. That is the basis of Gandalf, is North Norse mythology. Yeah. yeah. And the way they send Baromir over the, the falls in the boat and everything. That's... Did you guys like that you saw the boat fall afterwards? Because, I mean, I know it's kind of morbid and all that, but I, I liked that they did that detail. Oh, you know, yeah. It went over it's, the falls. It's... Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was neat. Yeah. The dwarves are really Norsemen. They are Vikings, essentially. Oh, we'll get Vikings. to the Vikings. <laughs> we'll get to them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because then you've got the Rohirrim as well, who are kind of like that. Right. The dwarves are really cool. So when Arwen comes to rescue Frodo and she's taking him back, but then he looks like he's passing on to the other side, she says something about take me instead, kind of, you know, give my grace to him. How does he really survive in that? Because it makes me feel like she gives up her power of like being immortal and gives it to him. But then throughout the rest of the movie, they don't play it that way. That's not something that comes into play at that particular spot, but it will come into play down the road. She has something called the Even Star, which is sort of a uh, totem that she wears, like the necklace right. and all that that she gives to Aragorn. That becomes down the road. That that'll be where where she does give up her immortality to live a mortal life with Aragorn. So, spoilers, if no one's seen this and read it since 1953, it's not something that plays in here. They also mention how the only thing could save him is the healing hands of Elrond. Elrond has one of the elven rings. That's what it comes down to. So, she bought time for him to get him where uh, he needed to go. So, he, he wasn't quite there yet, and they got him where he needed to go after the river engulfs the Nazgul. Did she buy him time by giving him the thing that she gives Later on, or how no? Did, she put I, I, she put him on the faster horse 
right? Because his horse mm-hmm. was, was lame and all that. She put him on the faster horse and just got him there. I mean, that's that's a cool read to it, but I don't I don't see that as being a part of it. I don't know in, why in she the book, says it's what not she even said. Arlen, I don't believe. So I just don't understand why she says what she says at that moment to him, because it sounds like she's not going to get him to where he needs to get to in time. Honestly, so it seems like a prayer of desperation. That's you know, how like, I took like, it. Yeah. But we don't know how that prayer was really answered. It was answered by her father who called the river to engulf them. And then uh, Gandalf who put the horses in, in the visage of the river. So, but we don't really see that. I mean, we saw, we saw the horses, you know, take out the Kings, but we don't actually see the horses take Frodo up to save him. Yeah. When, when I'm referring to horses, I just mean like the river turns into like horses and all right. that. And it, and it kills them. Her horse was fast. And that's why she put uh, Frodo on her horse so she could go. So you would just have to make the assumption that she made it to, because they were just about at the entrance. They were like a couple hours away or something like that. Like that's as far as they made it. So with her horse, she could make it to save his life in time. That's all it was. She just had a hat, uh, but she never would have made it being chased by five Nazgul. She never would have made it because they would have pinchered her and that's why she stopped aren't, where she stopped in defendable position. Aren't all nine there? No, I don't think there was nine there because I, I don't think they have the full nine together. But then again, I, I don't remember. I don't know. I watched it a couple nights ago. Do, do you guys remember if all nine? I'm I didn't pretty sure s- that all nine of them were six, there. Yeah. I felt like there was six, but I yeah, could have been I, wrong. I know at Weathertop, there's only four or five because you see right. them and you're like, oh shit, there's another one. You know, it's like, yeah, the same thing when it goes through Bree and they're they're coming through. So I don't know if it's all nine yet. So, but this, this comes into play because they've killed the steeds. So the ghosts will just go back to, to Mordor. And when they come back, they've got some more powerful steeds to ride. You know, you could spend three hours talking about this movie. All right, well, let's talk about our reviews of the movie here. So I, I'm going to kick scale, it off. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys, I, I think this one is a B plus for me. You know, it's it's above average. It's far above average. But there's some things that really take away. For me, it's the visual effects. And they're super dated. And I love so much about this movie, but like you said, it drags at times. And there is a cut that you can watch without the walking in it. And I think that it has to exist and it sets the stage and it gets you where you need to go. But this is like the reverse of Star Wars, where it's like maybe the first one's the best or the second one's the best. But it's like in this one, the first one is not the strongest suiting you know, for them. So I, I'm going to go with a B plus. I will watch this movie whenever it's on. I adore it. But, um, you know, for me, it's like, OK, but I really want to get to that third movie. <laughs> you know. All right. Well, we kick it off with Justin. Awesome. I will go. And again, this is kind of like. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just not my genre. I'm really not into the fantasy stuff and the medieval stuff, so right off the bat, I'm a little jaded. Yeah, this this movie for me is slow. Like, really slow. I know it's one of the greatest trilogies of all time and people love it, and I'm probably one of the few people that don't. Man, it is slow. There is just nothing about this movie that I can say that just even remotely intrigues me well you know what i I take that back the shooting on location in new zealand there is some great cinematography in this and i would agree with justin yeah the cg's dated but come on it's 22 years old 23 years old it's gonna be but for me this movie just drags i am intrigued about the version without the walking i think i'm gonna try and find that one it's not the worst movie i've ever seen it's not nearly the best movie i've ever seen it's unfortunately a little bit below average. It's a D plus for me. What are your thoughts, Ken? 
Well, I kind of really disagree with you, Eric, because of course I don't you think, do. I don't think it's as, as slow as you peg it to be. There's a lot of action scenes, especially when we get out of like the Shire and we're actually on the actual quest itself. Okay, well, I'm going to use my phrase that I use in all my movies. I think we all know the phrase is anyone. Hardcore nudity. Hardcore nudity couldn't <laughs> help this movie. That's right. All right. Thank you. You're I thought all he was going to say me. tasteful side boob, but okay. Takes, it'll yeah. take more than that. The one thing I will agree with you is cinematography is beautifully shot. I mean, this might be one of the best shot movies I've ever seen. And I do think, for the most part, for CGI, holds up pretty good. I mean, compared to like the Star Wars prequels. This holds up so much better. Oh, those are than, bad. Let's say Attack of the Clones. I mean, this yeah, is, and it's the same year, you know, or, yeah, or maybe like yeah. no, two years after. For me, I think it holds up. There's a couple of scenes where I'm like, yeah, that doesn't look as good as it probably could look now. But for the most part, I think it, they do get away with it. I'm gonna disagree about the CGI. I think it's it's still pretty good for, especially for being over 20 years old. I think the performances, for the most part, are really are solid. The acting is really great. I actually, as I said it earlier, I think the pacing is is pretty decent. I think, especially for a first film, when you have a trilogy planned out, you need to show why it's important to protect what you're protecting. The Shire is everything that's great about life, with family and friends and having a good time. I mean, you got all the hobbits for that. They just seem to enjoy life. And then that life is threatened. And I think you need to show that. So I do think it kind of starts off slow in the Shire. Could probably trim out some of the walking for sure and speed up this movie and maybe save at least a half an hour off this movie. If you shave off a half an hour of this movie, I think it would be more perfect. As far as a grade for me, it's a solid B. It's a movie that I don't watch that often because you do have to give up three and a half hours if you're just watching the original version, and then I think over four hours if you're trying to watch the extended version. To be honest with you, at my age, I just don't have the time to do that anymore. I need to invest myself into some other movies. It's not a movie I really will go back to very often, but once in a while, I think I will. I think that's why I still settle on a B. All right. What are your thoughts, Ted? This movie, it doesn't frustrate me, but there are so many things that I really like, and it's hard because I want to get to them faster, and that kind of puts me in a weird place. It's like, I know this is coming up, and I want to get to it. Come on, get to get to the part that I like. We've all commented about the cinematography here. It's a beautiful movie. It's one of the most stunning movies shot in real life. I mean, outside of the green screen stuff, it's just absolutely stunning. The performances here are great. I like the actors. The movie does what it's supposed to do. It sets up everything else. So I find myself a little bit torn because the parts that that drag, they kind of get on my nerves a little bit. And that that shouldn't really shade my final grade. But I enjoy this movie. It's just one that, because it's so long, it's like, holy smokes. Whereas I can watch Star Wars and, you know, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in one sitting, it's six hours long. This movie's four hours long if I watch the extended version. It's hard because after watching Fellowship of the Ring, my desire then is to watch The Two Towers. It's like, I can't. Because it's so long, it's prohibitive. That kind of gets me as well. But as far as a movie goes, 
it's entertaining. If you haven't seen the movie, get it and watch it. It's worth your time. It is fun. The story is amazing. Just four hours long if you're watching the extended cut, which I did. My final grade for the movie is going to probably be, like Ken, is going to be a B. Because there is one of the three movies that I like a lot better than the other two. It's a fun ride. <laughs> it really is. It's just long. <laughs> I think that that is definitely something that has been a criticism of folks uh, with this is that it is so long. And if you're not into it, you know, and, and some people complained about like the uh, the Marvel movies and having to know the lore going into that. This kind of kicks that off fans like myself it's like i read this when i was 11 years old and i was so excited to see it i'm still so excited now and i'm like oh that's like this i don't remember every aspect of the books because i haven't gone back and and reread them probably should have during covid but you know um <laughs> but um it's it's just also kind of an event like when you watch this like it used to be on like around easter time or something like that on tnt and they had oh the extended versions on tnt and you can watch that so it's it's one of those things like also with harry potter like the epic style of movies where it's like okay you can be part of this universe and take it from soup to nuts all the way through and like that scope is what's also really fun of it but to a detriment looking at this through you know, a, a microscope, you're like, yeah, that's a long ass movie about walking. You know, it's, I can't argue with that. You know, My question on the TNT, is it the extended edited version? Cause I'm kind of curious if TNT also edits it and extends it at the same time. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a good question, but I mean, they, if they edit it, they edit it for time, you know? So right. that's, that's all it would be. They, they wouldn't edit to the extend it to cut out because... scenes. Here's one of the thing about the extended cut is there's extended credits and they include the credits into the extended cut time. The 228 minutes that I mentioned in the particulars at the beginning of the movie, I think 25 minutes of it is credits. Wow. So, yeah, and, there, and yeah, there's no it, end scene, so there's no reason to watch those credits, right, in this one. No Skeletor popping up out of the water, you know. Yeah, there's absolutely no it's reason to watch listeners. the credits. When are we doing Masters of the Universe? <laughs> Never. <laughs> No, oh, no Frank come Langella. on! Come on. <laughs> now we gotta get Eric on board for Harry Potter first before we tour. Dolph Lundgren, baby, good. You've ruined it for me. Why making me watch this again? I'm just gonna tell you, you guys, you guys can shit on Eric's choices all you want, but I'm just gonna say this: I enjoyed the hell out of that <laughs> uh, Sidney Pollock series that he did because I you learned guys a lot. Shit on my about choices, stuff. really? What? Uh, kind of. I'm just trying to understand why one of our biggest. <laughs> Listens is Jeremiah Johnson. That's my only problem. It's with just an everybody every loves week. That. Everybody yeah. loves that episode. You're going to have to get over it. <laughs> Three Jeremiah days of the Johnson Condor. No one even knew who it was, right? Jeremiah yeah. Johnson as I have, Wolverine. I have no reason to watch the movie the way we were because I listened to your podcast wow. and now I know all about it. Yeah. It is a good movie, though. It's yeah. fun. Sure. You know what? If we all agreed and all loved the movies, we why it wouldn't be fun. Exactly. You gotta have like a point counterpoint when you're doing this sometimes. Yeah. So, and this is the perfect one. We have Justin who worships at the throne of Lord of the Rings. I'll accept and that. That's fine. I think. Well, trust me. Listening <laughs> to you, you worship at the throne. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Back to the Future. Now that would be a fun trilogy to do if you're really into that one. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, got some options out there. All right. Well, this has been fun. 
I hope everyone's enjoyed it. And I'm sure everyone out there has watched this movie. Because if you haven't, you've been living under a rock for 20 years. Ted, tell us where they can find us on the World Wide Web out there. We can be found on X, whatever Elon's calling it at this time. We can be found at hookedon underscore movies. And we'll be starting to ramp up uh, some postings on there since now I'm feeling better. And also to whatever podcast version you're listening to us on, and whether it be Good Pods, Apple, Spotify, leave us a five-star rating and leave us a review because it helps us get noticed. And hopefully, you know, if we get enough reviews, uh, we can get noticed and we can become Rotten Tomatoes certified. That would be really kind of cool. What has been found is the way podcasts really promote themselves is by person-to-person contact. Tell a friend if you like us, and hopefully they'll give us a listen, too. As does the flu with person-to-person contact. Uh, Very true. Yes. All right, Ken, Facebook, what's new and exciting on our homepage? Nothing. Uh Uh-huh. Wonderful. That's great. What are you talking about? There's all kinds of stuff on there. (laughs) Make sure you join our Facebook page, Hooked on Movies. We have articles. We like to play some fun little clips also of movies and so jump on in. You know, Justin's a big contributor to the site. So he would like to talk back and forth on the site as well. So feel free to come on board. I feel like it's cool because lately everybody's died. You know, it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> Richard Roundtree. Sorry. You know, it's like. Oh, no. Well, he's 83. Yeah, all of a sudden our Facebook feed turned into the Death Watch. Death Watch, right. It's the Deadpool. Our January will be saluting those that we have lost in 2023. Hey, maybe we'll do Shaft. 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 Yeah. He's Academy a award-winning uh, movie. I'm thinking, yes. I'm for, thinking uh, best score, I think, right? Theme song. Thinking Pee Wee's Big Adventure is what I'm thinking. So. <sighs> yeah, wow. you're gonna go with yeah. a Tim Burton film? Damn! Wow. Oh, rest in peace, Pee Wee. Nobody ever. Paul Rubens. Cool. All right. Well, we're gonna be continuing the series here. We have the second movie in the trilogy from 2002. Kind of cool that they were released one year apart since they were all filmed at the same time. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. And as always, good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. See you at the movies. See you next time on Hooked on Movies.